Well, please join me in 2 Peter chapter 1, and let's talk today about our confidence in the Scriptures. Now, there are many legends in the world, myths, and one of the legends in the world is the legend of Bigfoot and Sasquatch. It's one of the legends. In fact, there used to be a television show, maybe some of you fellow scholars and intellectuals, maybe you watched it. <laughs> I used to watch it on occasion with my daughter. It's a show called Finding Bigfoot. In case you never saw it and you want to go back and find it, spoiler alert, they never found Bigfoot. <laughs> never found it. But it was an interesting show, kind of clean entertainment, pretty absurd. These so-called Bigfoot experts, a strange collection of experts, would go out into the woods and search for Bigfoot. And uh, one of the things I found comical of that was they'd make out, they'd, they'd make a, a Sasquatch call. This creature they'd never really encountered. I thought, how do they know what one sounds like? How would they know that would work? And, of course, it never worked. They never attracted a Bigfoot to them. The other thing interesting and found it comical, whenever they were out in the woods at night, entertaining as it was, uh, they would look for evidence. And sometimes they would see maybe it could have been a deer that came through here. Or it could have been a bear. Or maybe it was a cat. But I'm pretty sure it was a Bigfoot. That's how they dealt with evidence. No matter what it was, I think it was a Bigfoot. You think, why is he talking about Sasquatch? I never thought I'd hear a Sasquatch reference in a sermon. Well, here's the point. There are many legends, many myths out there. But when we turn to the pages of Scripture, we'll never find a myth there. There are no legends there. There aren't man-made stories in the Bible. It is true. You and I can have confidence in our Scriptures. And we're going to see that in our text here in a moment. If you were here last time, we talked about how you can be saved and sure. And we talked about how if you have your faith in Jesus Christ the finished work of Christ, you can not only be saved, but you can be sure that you are saved. And I hope you picked up that assurance last time. But today we're going to add to that assurance, an assurance that you can have in the scriptures. Can you imagine how vital these both are in your life? These are critical for you to thrive spiritually, to know that you know God and to know that God's word is true. So vital for your spiritual progress. So let's dive in together. This is the point Peter's going to bring to us from 2 Peter 1, picking up in verse 16. For, if, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So we're just going to talk together about why we should be confident in the scriptures. And the first reason we have is this, that our scriptures contain the testimonies of eyewitnesses. Our scriptures contain the testimonies of eyewitnesses. And this is what Peter here is talking about in verses 16 and following. He's going to talk about the fact that these aren't things we're just passing along to you that we heard from somebody and we don't know, but we are eyewitnesses of the life of Christ. Now consider with me, this is the first century Roman Empire that Peter's writing into. This was the time when people did believe in the Greco-Roman mythologies. Do you remember in school when they taught you about Zeus and all these other mythological beings that nobody believes in anymore? Well, this was at a time when they did. There were temples to these deities that the pagans would worship. And Peter says, when I talk to you about Christ and all that he did, 
These aren't among those myths. This is nothing like this. I saw him, heard him, touched him. And likewise, as he's going to launch into this extended teaching against false teachers coming up, he wants people to know this is nothing like what the false teachers are bringing into the churches. We are eyewitnesses. Wednesday in my personal time with the Lord, I was in Matthew chapter four. And just that, that reminder again, yes, Peter is among the eyewitnesses. This is Matthew four nineteen. When When Jesus came along, Peter and his brother Andrew, it went this way. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they, Peter and his brother Andrew, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Peter became a follower of Jesus. And for three years before the crucifixion, he was with him day in, day out, hearing him teach, watching him love people, watch him interact with the false teachers and the, and the Pharisees. And then of course, the crucifixion, resurrection, an eyewitness of all of that. Just making the point, not fables. The Bible's not legends. You can be confident of it. Not just Peter though, all the apostles, all the disciples would speak this way. I love how John wrote about it. John, one of the disciples wrote this in 1 John 1, 1 and following. Listen to words seen and heard and touched here. 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. So our four gospels, the entirety of the New Testament give us corroborated, truthful information about the life and the ministry and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even, even of his coming again. Now contrast this assurance from eyewitnesses with all the opinions you hear spiritually in a given week. We hear people say things like this in our day. You know, you have your truth and I have my truth and their truth is some type of opinion about something. Or sometimes we hear people say things like this, you know, to me, God is like this. And what they're sharing is something they've made up and this is their opinion. Or we hear people say things like this, you know, I'd like to think that God is more like this than, than what you're saying. I'd like to think that God wouldn't care about that. And just imagination, just making things up. Or we hear things like this, you know, I think that whatever you believe, as long as you're really sincere about it, then God's fine with that. What have we just heard? And what do we hear constantly? The opinions of men. But when we come to the scriptures, we don't find that. The New Testament, the, the gospels, the New Testament, not just a collection of people's opinions about spiritual matters. We don't turn here and go, oh, that's his take on it. Here's another take on it. Here's another take on it. No, we have the word of God, very sure being declared from God. I love how the Old Testament prophets would proclaim quite confidently, thus says the Lord. I love how Jesus didn't call himself an opinion. He called himself the truth. And here are these apostles, people like Peter said, we're telling you things we experienced with him. We saw Jesus. We heard him. We saw him alive. We even touched him. Now, specifically here, Peter, as he talks about being an eyewitness, he could talk about any element of Christ's life because he saw it all. But here he's going to talk about one grand occasion where he was there for a thrilling encounter with Christ. Now, if we try to think together, what would Peter say is the most thrilling thing he ever experienced with Christ? We know he would say the resurrection. You can't top the resurrection where Jesus was dead and they were all devastated. Then they saw him on the third day alive. That transformed their lives. 
But I would say a close second to that perhaps, a thrilling time in Peter's life was what we know of as the transfiguration. When Peter, James, and John got to go up on a mountain with Jesus and they saw him for just a short period of time fully glorified. The same glory Jesus had before he came to the earth, the same glory Jesus is going to display when he comes again. Peter, James, and John got to see that. And that's what Peter's specifically referring to here. I'm not making this up. This isn't a myth or a fable. It's nothing that we cleverly devised. I was there and saw this. Notice again the wording here, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Matthew describes that occasion in full. Listen to Matthew 17 verses 1 through 8. Hear about this occasion that, that Peter says, I was there for this. Matthew 17, 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes were white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. What a thrilling encounter. All we can say after reading that is, wow. And Peter says, I was there for that. I was one of three. They got to be there on the mountain and see Jesus glorified in an amazing way. Notice it. He says Jesus' face was shining like the sun. Can you imagine? He says that his clothes were as white and bright as light. Then he said Moses was there and Elijah was there and they were talking together. And then, and then we find, so what is the significance of all this? Well, Moses being there perhaps is pertaining to someone who's representing the law of the Old Covenant. And Elijah per pertaining to the prophets of the old covenant and Jesus, of course, the fulfillment of all of the law and the prophets. And so it's a glorious occasion here. Here, the main point of this is that Jesus stands alone in glory. Peter said, we got the message loudly and clearly. Now there is something comical in this amazing occasion that Peter got to witness. It's where Peter in that moment got it wrong as he sometimes did. I love it here. God, the father actually interrupted Peter as Peter was saying something that was not correct on that occasion that Peter's reminiscing about. I love it here. This is back in chapter 17 of Matthew, verse 5. Peter was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from heaven from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am pleased. Listen to him. With the idea, I'm going to build three tents, one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, one Elijah. Seemed like a good thing to do in the moment. Just caught up in, what do you say in a moment like that? Not that. And God the Father's like, we're going to interrupt that. And I love it. Off the scene goes Moses. Elijah's now gone. It's just Jesus. Don't you love it? A voice from heaven that Peter said, I heard. <laughs> Correcting even Peter. I heard it. 
This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And so the point Peter's bringing up here, I know this and I'm telling you, not a myth. Jesus alone, he stands alone in his glory. Jesus alone is the one that we should listen to because God the Father told us that. And Jesus is going to come in glory just like I saw. The same glory he had before the incarnation, same glory we're going to see when he comes again. I can tell you, not a myth, not made up. I'm giving you this testimony. And it wasn't just Peter, but it's James and John as well. They were eyewitnesses of all that. So understand, you can have confidence in our scriptures because our scriptures contain the testimonies of eyewitnesses, not myth. A second reason you should leave here in a few moments with confidence in the Bible is because our scriptures were inspired by God himself. Notice as Peter, how he continues here in verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter here tells us how we have come to receive our Scriptures. He's making it very clear. He states it in several ways that our Scriptures have come from God himself. In fact, notice he tells us how the Old Testament prophets received a word from God. It wasn't by their own interpretation that they spoke for God. Their messages did not originate from their own will, but we're told that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they prophesied and as those prophecies were written down. That wording carried along, we're told, is the same way they used to in those days talk about those great sailing vessels and how they would be carried along by the wind. Same word choice here to talk about how the Holy Spirit carried this men along with their word from God. Now contrast this with the many false prophets that we engage in the scriptures when God rebukes them. They had messages that did not come from the Holy Spirit. They were messages from their own will, what they wanted to be true. By the way, in our day, we have many people who claim to be prophets. And they over and over again show themselves to be wrong. Now, some of these modern day so-called prophets will give such vague prophecies that it's almost like the horoscopes. Well, that could almost apply to anything. How could you verify it? So you just kind of shrug. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. This guy claims he's a prophet. He claims he has a message. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But some of them will come right out and say things that just don't come to pass. And we saw a, a sad example of this during the most recent presidential election. There were these so-called modern prophets giving a word about which candidate was going to win. And they were very sure. And that candidate did not win. They were so sure, or at least try to convey confidence, that they, that, but don't worry, within a week or two, this will all be rectified. And this particular one will be in the White House. And it was false, 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 false. Nothing like the prophets of the Bible who were carried along by the Holy Spirit, who did not bring messages from their own will. So what were these modern day so-called prophets bringing? Certainly maybe a lot of emotion. Maybe it was something of their own will. Maybe it was wishful thinking. I don't know, but it's not this. We don't have confidence in people who just pop up and say they have a word. We have confidence in the scripture. I love it here. The apostles, such confidence. They say we have this word more fully confirmed. 
In other words, the apostles would say, we always believe the Old Testament prophets. We always believe that in the scriptures. But now that we've seen so much of the scriptures fulfilled in the person of Jesus that we touched and heard and saw with our own eyes, we have that word more fully confirmed. In other words, we have great confidence in the scriptures and all that's still going to come in fulfillment of the scripture. So let's now talk for a moment about the process of inspiration. How did God inspire this Bible that we are to trust so fully? Well, we're told the Bible is a product of the Holy Spirit of God. Notice here he says it. These men were moved by the Holy Spirit. They spoke from God. So the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the scriptures. In fact, Jesus said it would be this way. In John 14, 26, we read this. Jesus speaking to his disciples said, but the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, I like this, and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So it was the Holy Spirit, as Jesus promised, who would orchestrate and inspire the writing and the collecting of the books of the Bible. It was a process that God used over 40 men to do over a span of 1,500 years. The Old Testament written primarily in Hebrew, the New Testament written primarily in Greek, and yet there's one grand theme. So this Bible, we would say, is the word of God. But he did indeed use men, men that he prepared and chose for this assignment. God would use their personalities in the writing, their own vocabularies as he would orchestrate this, their own set of circumstances. And yet the end result of what the Holy Spirit inspired through these men is exactly what God wanted them to have in their time and for our scriptures for all time until Jesus comes again. So we're talking about the reason why we can be confident in the scriptures as this book is no ordinary book, these words inspired by God. In fact, one of the great texts that teach this is the text in 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16, listen to this. All scripture is breathed out by God. God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Some translations also accurately translate this. All scripture is inspired by God. The ESV here, just go ahead and tell you that that literal Greek word behind there is a compound word that literally means God breathed. God has breathed out. I think that's important clarification because sometimes we talk about inspired in different ways. Sometimes we talk about, I was so inspired, meaning I was so motivated. This is more than that. The claim of scripture is more than it, it makes you feel good. The claim of scripture is all scripture has been breathed out by God. These are God's word. Yes, written down by men, but God was all over that process. And this is God's authoritative word. Now, is there any, any evidence that this book is inspired by God? That's quite a claim. Is there any evidence? Oh, there's plenty of evidence. One of the great evidences that this book is a supernatural book from God is fulfilled prophecies. It is stunning when you look at the prophecies given in the Old Covenant and their fulfillment. In fact, we're told that there are over 300 prophecies from the Old Covenant that are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ in his life. Of course, we're told his birthplace before. We're told about his lineage, even his crucifixion. Centuries before there even was crucifixion, we're told that's how Jesus would die. So miraculous book, fulfilled prophecy, helps, helps us see our confidence should be in the inspiration of scripture. Not only fulfilled prophecies, but also archeological and historical evidence. So the places referenced in the Bible are still there. And archeological evidence over and over again has corroborated the message of the Bible. So there was a time when the skeptics would say, oh, listen, only the Bible talks about the Hittites. 
And there's no evidence of the Hittites outside of the Bible. Therefore, that's a made-up people group until the archaeologists found a Hittite library. Well, okay, there were the Hittites. But over and over again, archaeology shows that there's the truthfulness of the Bible. But the Bible does have places where you can actually go. So the Bible writes a lot about Egypt. You can go to Egypt. We're just making the point. These, these aren't fables. These are, this is not fiction set in some fairyland. You can go to Egypt. You can go to Jerusalem. In fact, there was a time in, in 1999, our family lived in Cyprus in the Mediterranean just for six months. And, and while there, just realizing, you know, this is a place that Paul went. We had to make a visa run in 1999. We had to leave the country to come back in the country for a visa process. And so we went to Athens, Greece. And while in Athens, Greece, we went to Mars Hill, a place where Paul himself preached 2,000 years ago. And that's pretty amazing. I'm standing on a spot where Paul was. It's not that big a spot, so I figured out I'm in the area <laughs> where he was. It's not fiction, real places that you can go to. So there's fulfilled prophecies, there's archaeological and historical evidence. Then there's textual evidence. Maybe you've heard a skeptic say at some point in your life, you know, the Bible's been changed so much. How do you know? It's all through the years, it's just been changed dramatically. And you know, there's no evidence for that claim that the Bible's been changed dramatically. It has not. There are thousands of manuscripts and parts of manuscripts that don't show that the Bible has been dramatically changed. It's quite to the contrary. These thousands of pieces of manuscript evidence continue to show that what we have in our modern Bible is, is very much aligned. No dramatic changes whatsoever. No substantive differences in the manuscript evidence. Not only that, but we have the cohesiveness of the Bible. Don't you love it? It's written over a span of 1,500 years, but it is one story, isn't it? So we're told, how did we get here? The Bible tells us, here's how you were created. What went wrong with creation? We're told about the fall of man. What's God's plan to restore us? His plan of redemption, preserving a nation Israel. From that nation, there will be a savior that you need to trust in for salvation. And he came. And then we're awaiting full restoration. We're told how this all ends and begins again in the new heaven and the new earth. And this cohesiveness of the Bible points to it. But also the timeless wisdom of the Bible. Haven't you discovered this? That the word works. When you humble yourself and you say, hey, I'm going to align myself with the wisdom of God. Life just seems to work better. There's wisdom in the scripture. And when we think we're wiser than the wisdom of God, and I'm not going to do what the Bible says, we find dysfunction and pain there. There's timeless wisdom in these scriptures. But how about this? Just another reason why we should have confidence. The testimony of changed lives by the millions all over the world. In fact, I'm looking at a room full of people that many of you, if you could take my place here, you could testify, oh, the Bible's true. Oh, I benefited by the riches of the Bible. Oh, especially how the Bible pointed me to Jesus. And so these scriptures, we should be confident because they are God-breathed. And if these scriptures have come from God, then we know they are accurate without any error. So our theological position on the Bible is we believe in the inerrancy of scripture. Since these are God's words, we believe they are God's word without any error. That claim is this, that when the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to write, when he inspired Jeremiah to write, or Paul to write, or Peter to write, that the Holy Spirit so governed that process that though he's working through men, that God gave us exactly what he wanted us to have, and there's no error in it. We can fully trust it. All scripture is God-breathed. We trust it. Wouldn't it be a strange revelation of God if God gave you a book that, hey, I don't know, some of this I trust, some of this I don't trust. That's not how God inspired us. In fact, let me just give you the example. Think about with me, the Old Testament prophets, when they spoke for God, were they hesitating? Were they unsure? No, they declared, thus says 
the Lord. There was no equivocation in what they shared. Or how about when we look at Paul's use of scripture? He draws so heavily upon Old Testament writings to teach New Testament truth, but he never acted like, I don't know about that Old Testament. He believed it all. In fact, we read in Romans, he believed in the historical reality of Adam. Adam, who brought sin into the human race, infected all of us, how Jesus is going to undo what Adam did. He, he definitely believed the old covenant, even as God was using him to write new covenant scripture. Or how about our savior? Shouldn't we have the same view of scripture that Jesus has? If we say we're his followers, Jesus had no doubts about the scriptures that he had. When he looked back to the Old Testament, for instance, Jesus spoke in Matthew 12 about the historical reality of Jonah. Jesus also in Matthew 24 spoke about the historical reality of Noah's day. Also in John 6, Jesus affirmed that God fed people miraculously from bread from heaven, that manna. And I love this, Jesus repeatedly talked about how all the Old Testament scriptures were about him that he is the fulfillment of all those scriptures, not a low view of scripture, a very high view of scripture. That is the view of Jesus. And this is the view you should have. Absolute confidence, assurance in the scriptures. So what does the Bible say about itself? What a claim to say, this is God's word and it's perfectly true. Listen to me, listen with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse seven and following. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned and in keeping them, there is great reward. So let me ask you this. Do you have these two assurances in your life? Are you sure that you're saved because you have put your faith in Jesus alone to save you? Oh, I want you to have that assurance that you know that you know Jesus, that he has washed your sins away. He's given you that gift of everlasting life because you've called on him. So be confident in your salvation. Trust in Jesus. Do you have this one? Are you confident in the scriptures? Do you know that God has spoken? Can you say with Peter, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. But there's one other thing I want you to see here. Peter doesn't just say all these great things about the prophecies and about the scripture, but he says here, pay attention. Did you notice it? To which you will do well to pay attention. Let's make sure we don't leave here kind of in a slogan mentality. I believe the Bible, but I don't do it. Pay attention to the scriptures. Don't just have this great theological position. Don't just have it as kind of a lucky charm in your life. I own a Bible. I don't know where it is. And I believe every word of that Bible, if I could just find it, we're to pay attention to the scriptures. He says, why? Because it's a lamp shining in a dark place. You and I live in a dark place. And the word of God functions like that for us. Lord, light the way. Show me what's true. Show me what's right. And you've given me the Bible for that. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So are you paying attention to these wonderful God-inspired scriptures? Is there any area of your life right now where you know there's a disconnect between what God has said to you in the scriptures and what you're choosing to do? Listen, don't, don't do that. Pay attention. There's blessing in paying attention. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, do you wanna build your life on a rock or on the sand? 
Remember Jesus said, a person who hears these words of his, his and does them. That's a person who's like, a person who's built his house upon the rock, and when the storm comes, that house stands firm. But a person who merely hears the words of the Lord and does not act on them, he says, that's a person who's like a person who built their house upon the sand. And when the storm comes and the winds blow, great will be its fall. Oh, let's believe the word of God so much so that we act upon the word of God. So trust in Jesus and trust in the word of God. Let's pray together.